Welcome to Granite State Matters, the busy person's way to catch up with what's happening in Concord. Because the extremists are taking over the state house, And what you don't know can hurt you. I'm Steve Marchand. And I'm Terry Harkins. In previous podcasts, we've investigated how outside interests manipulate taxes and priorities in New Hampshire. Our last podcast looked at how election law is being manipulated to keep one party in power. Steve, today we're going to see how actions at the state level raise your local property taxes. And we'll learn about the shell game they use to keep you from realizing what they're doing. First, Steve, we have a little quiz. Ah, yes. To make this podcast a little more fun, we've decided to test what you know about matters in the Granite State. So, here goes. Which of the following are true? All right. Statement A. New Hampshire businesses pay twice as much property tax as they do business profits tax. All right. Second statement. Three towns send children to Kingswood High. Taxpayers in one town pay $3.81 per thousand in school taxes. In the second town, $6.02 per thousand. And in the third, $10.80 per thousand, all to the very same school district. All right. And C. New Hampshire has a state property tax. So those are the three statements. True or false? And repeating, New Hampshire businesses pay twice as much property tax as they do business profits tax. Second statement, taxpayers in one town pay $3.81 per thousand in school tax. Second town, $6.02. Third town, $10.80, all to the same school district. And finally, New Hampshire has a state property tax. If you don't know the answers now, you will by the end of the podcast. But Steve, let's get down to business. Do state actions really impact local property taxes? They really do. We hear almost every year about how the governor and legislators are cutting taxes. In fact, the business profits tax has been cut four times in the last decade, which helps the profitable multinationals here. But what they don't tell you is that, meanwhile, they've cut revenue sharing that used to fund town expenses. That's right. So back in 2011, they stopped sharing teacher and municipal employee pensions. That was a huge hit on towns. But the worst harm to poor towns this budget is that they cut $140 million in stabilization grants for schools in property-poor towns. Right, and here's the shell game. They're giving a $100 million one-year tax cut to all towns, hoping we won't notice the long-term harm to struggling towns. After the next election, the one-time money goes away, and taxpayers have to make up the difference. Or how about the rooms and meals tax sharing they're promoting right now? The city manager of Laconia says the town is getting $375,000 in rooms and meals tax distribution to Laconia this year. However, the same state budget that increases that revenue source zeroed out the higher shared revenue included in the state budget for the previous two years. He says, I have to come up with an extra 21000 So for the towns where people are struggling to keep food on the table and a roof over their heads, it's a race to the bottom made worse by the so-called Statewide Education Property Tax, or SWEPT. Right, so despite its name, the SWEPT is not a statewide tax at all. It's collected by towns and paid to their school district, and it increases the disparity between top and bottom town tax rates. 
For instance, the parents of a Kingswood High student who lives in Tuftonboro pays $3.81 per thousand in school taxes. A parent in Wolfboro pays $6.02 per thousand for exactly the same school. A third town, Brookfield, pays $10.80 per thousand. That's because in New Hampshire, education is not funded by the state. No state funds local education less than New Hampshire. Property values in Tuftonboro are so high, they raise more school tax than they need for the students who live in Tuftonboro. But rather than sharing across towns to help pay for students in less wealthy towns, Tuftonboro gets to apply their excess to cut their own bill. And meanwhile, people on low and fixed incomes can't afford the tax increases, so they're forced out. But it's not just residential properties that suffer from tax increases. Right. Businesses pay about 40% of New Hampshire's property taxes. But it's the same game. The more powerful companies lobby to shift their tax burden to the less powerful ones. Exactly. Large multinationals pay more of their taxes through business profits tax. Small businesses pay more through property tax. So when the state cuts the profits tax and downshifts more expenses onto towns, it moves the burden from large multinationals towards smaller New Hampshire-based businesses, and to us residents, of course, as well. And since Chris Sununu took office, New Hampshire has gone from having the ninth highest property tax burden in the nation to the third highest. So, Steve, let's look back at our quiz questions. Do New Hampshire businesses pay twice as much in property taxes as they pay in the business profits and enterprise tax? True. Businesses do pay twice as much property tax in New Hampshire as they do business profits and business enterprise taxes combined. And small New Hampshire businesses pay the lion's share of property tax. Steve, do parents at the same high school pay school tax rates that vary from $3.81 per thousand to $10.80 per thousand? Also true. Kingswood High is just one of many examples in which towns in the same districts pay drastically different school tax rates. And finally, Steve, does New Hampshire have a state property tax? False. Despite the name, the so-called state education property tax is a totally local tax. It is paid by towns from local property taxes to school districts. New Hampshire is dead last among all states when it comes to state funding for education. I guess so the upshot is by shifting costs from the state to local towns... Republicans shift tax burdens from wealthy towns and multinational companies to poorer towns and to small businesses. There you have it. This has been Granite State Matters' review of how state actions affect local property taxes. In a moment, we'll talk with former Executive Counselor Andrew Velinsky and hear what the legislature has in store for your wallet in 2022. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. And we're back to Granite State Matters podcast on property tax impacts of state law. Today we have with us attorney Andrew Valinsky, former member of the Executive Council and a candidate for governor in 2020. Counselor Valinsky also led the Claremont case successfully challenging the constitutionality of the state's school funding process. Good to see you, Andy. Thanks for being on the show. Andy, we reviewed how the state has been shifting the tax burden to towns. Uh, We discussed how property-poor townspeople and small businesses have borne the brunt of that shift. 
I expect that as a former executive counselor, a civic leader, a real leader on this issue for over 30 years, you've got many stories that can exemplify in a real way how this trend uh, affects individuals and constituents. I, I do. So, some of them are heartbreaking. Uh, during my campaign, I sat with a uh, seven-year-old uh, who told me that she wanted to grow up to be a doctor because she had once been hospitalized and uh, uh, the doctors made her better, in her words. Um, we were sitting in a Berlin elementary school that was about to close, and I knew that there were no chemistry teachers in the high school. And I'm thinking, how is this poor little girl going to get to uh, med school without chemistry? Uh, there are stories like that throughout our state. Pittsfield doesn't have foreign language teachers. Um, Manchester, our largest city, should be our economic driver, is the lowest spending uh, community in the state on its schools. Um, but I, I think what this comes down to is, is power begets power. Um, recent legislatures have made the tax breaks for the wealthy more and more common. Uh, the most hard hit are our middle income property owners um, and cities. And I hate to say it, your old hometown, Portsmouth, has hired lobbyists to keep the current system intact. Um, most of this tax inequity happens in education, but there are problems with rooms and meals, pension funding, uh, a number of places where this shows up. Andy, and speaking of property taxes, since 2016, New Hampshire jumped from ninth worst to third worst property tax impact in the nation. So who's behind the changes that made this happen? I think there are people who are behind it, but there are also people who are standing by and who shouldn't be. So obviously there, a lot of the Republican, a subset of that, the hard right libertarian Republican leadership in the legislature gets a lot of their marching orders from an organization called ALEC, which is a Koch brothers funded group nationally, uh, presents draft legislation to be adopted across the country. Uh, our governor uh, tends to go along uh, with those efforts. But I, I got to say, in the 30 years that I've been working on education funding, the most disappointing have been the Democrats. Leaders of my own party are unwilling to tell the truth about this issue, about how the state downshifts more and more financial responsibilities to the local communities and local communities have different wealth. And some communities accept those burdens with very little pain. I mentioned Portsmouth, Newington, uh, North and South Hampton, Moultonboro, many like that. And others just get crushed every time there's another downshift. The Claremonts, the Winchesters, the Charlestowns. Um, it just isn't fair. And, and children often take the brunt of this because of the quality uh, of their education being so impacted by the dollars available. There's the policy part of it that you, you described a moment ago right now, but uh, there's the cultural element. 
and the language behind it. And you see this on some other issues not directly related to ed funding. Uh, So, for example, a few episodes ago in episode six, we talked about the net metering bill that gets watered down to a point where a lot of the potential benefits, you know, gone away. But then the Republicans will tout their support. You see this a lot. Uh, There's a bit of sleight of hand, uh, the shell game of where the revenue and the spending is. But the king of all of that for half a century now has been ed funding. So beyond even just the policy, you've gone around the state more than anybody on this. The culture, the language, how do we get into that? How do, how do you begin to deal with that as it relates like to the current budget to make a difference over the next year or two? The collision of near-term impact with trying to begin to make a difference on culture and language at the same time. Well, you're making a great point, Steve. Um, I I think we have to have consistent messaging. And the good guys and good gals need to be on the same page. So my my friends, John Tobin and Doug Hall and I did 70 forums before the 2018 election around the state. We called it Ed Funding 101. We went around and explained exactly how education funding works in the state. And that gave us enough oomph with the legislature that we had a meeting, we sat down, we said, you need to do these things. You need to stop cutting funding to the poorest communities. You you gotta put more money into the system. And there was democratic leadership in the House and Senate at the time, and, and they did some things. They improved education funding, but they did it with one-time monies. And so what that led to was Chris Sununu going around the state with these big two-foot by six-foot oversized checks, delivering the Democrats' money. But then when that one-time funding went away, there were severe cuts. There are severe cuts. 2023 funding will be something like 6% less than current funding um, at a time when a lot of communities need more help, not less help. So we need to be consistent about it. We need to understand, look, I understand all taxes are too much taxes. Unless you want your roads plowed, unless you want good schools for your children to be educated in, unless you want a, a working public health system, And so we need to have some context. Northern New England is Vermont, New Hampshire, and Maine. New Hampshire pays the least in taxes of those three states by a lot. It's like 20% less than Vermont and 12 or 15% less than Maine. Yet to talk to the average person on the street, you'd think that someone was coming into your house and robbing your piggy bank. And really what this is, is it's the price of supporting the common good. If your neighbor's children are better educated, that redounds to the benefit of your whole community. If you're a parent, you have obvious connections. If like me, you're a grandparent, you have other connections. We need to build on these connections and support a common view of what society should be um, and not set certain communities adrift, which is really what we've done. If you live in Winchester, 
which is right on the mass border down in the southwestern part of the state, your kids go to high school in Keene, but there's no bus transportation. It got cut in the last budget. So you got to figure out how your kids are going to get to high school. That makes it easy for kids not to go. And that's a problem. So, Andrew, just because the average tax is lower than other states, isn't it the case that the wealthy still pay much less and the poor might pay more? Yeah, when, when you consider your income. So you pay taxes from income, right? You have to have yeah. money to pay the tax. The highest percentage of income gets paid by middle-income folks. The people whose largest asset is their home, Mm-hmm. And that gets hit the hardest by the property tax. But if you're a wealthy person, well, Chris Sununu just gave you a hell of a Christmas present um, in the last legislative budget. He cut um, the interest and dividends tax, which is how the wealthiest among us make a bunch of their money. So that's going to create a 363 odd million hole in the budget in the next few years, it's phased out over a couple of years. That's got to be made up somewhere. This legislature, this governor isn't going to raise other taxes. So it's going to result in more cuts to state funded services and more shifts to the local communities. I will say one thing that I'll give the legislature credit for. Uh, There's a tax called Rooms and Meals on the books for, I think, decades, the state was supposed to send 40% of the money collected through rooms and meals back to the communities. um, And the state suspended that 40% return in 2008. And so it's been about 20 odd percent ever since then, Democrats and Republicans 20%. This last legislative term, um, the Republicans said, the heck with the fiction about 40%. We're going to give you 30% and we'll fund the 30%. So a tip of the hat for a little bit of honesty in in government on that point. Well, I I think we just talked about how they cut other funding and then put this funding in place, right? So the the rooms and meals funding. So it's like a a real sleight of hand. Yeah, in a lot of respects. But on on that one point of 40% versus 30%, that part is accurate. So what's the the way forward, Andy? What would you suggest an ordinary citizen could do? So I I think it starts with becoming informed, understanding how this works. You don't have to be an economist or a math major. There are some groups that are very active on this front. Um, I mentioned... Uh, John Tobin and Doug Hall and I did the forums. Uh, John and Doug went on to form a group called the New Hampshire School Funding Fairness Project. People should check out their website. Uh, Reaching Higher New Hampshire is another good source. Generally on money issues in our state, the New Hampshire Fiscal Policy Institute is an unbiased, straightforward source of information say that you guys doing this podcast is another way to get information. Um, And our goal with our forums was to help citizens ask informed questions of candidates in 2018. 
we need to be ready to do the same thing and point out that the representative from Haverhill, New Hampshire, voted in a way that cut money to Haverhill, New Hampshire. We have to have that information in the hands of voters as they get ready to vote. That takes in-person forums, Zoom forums, it takes mailings, it takes organizing, it takes some money to get this information out. So we need to be doing all of those things. And you know, we, we have to pay attention to the down ballot as well as the high level uh, elections in our state. All of that comes together to uh, build an informed citizenry that can make decisions that are in the general better interests of the, of the community. Well, and Andy, I think it's fair to say, I mean, nobody in the last 30 plus years has done more work along with great people like the folks you mentioned alongside you to try to raise that level of awareness. Uh, not at the finish line yet, but it's not from a lack of effort uh, from, I think, you as much as anybody in the state. So um, I hope you you get that appreciation. We certainly appreciate it. And we appreciate you being on the show today. Hey, this has been my pleasure. Uh, I'm glad you guys are doing this. Uh, you have your act together. Go for it. Andrew Valinsky, thank you for making us smarter. This has been Granite State Matters' discussion on property tax impacts of state law. Our next episode will focus on the New Hampshire budget in general and how it affects you other than your property taxes. And you can follow our bi-weekly podcast at your favorite podcast provider and share it with friends and neighbors because extremists are taking over the statehouse. And what you don't know can hurt you.